Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the top-tier brewing stand. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. For the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my brewing brothers and sisters. Greetings, greetings. Ah, good to be back in the studio. It is. Always fun to talk about brewing with y'all. Yeah, yeah. It's been, uh, it's been a while. Yeah? I mean, uh, I spent five weeks on the road in, in Europe at one yeah. point. Did we already talk about that? I can't remember. Bit. Yep. We talked, we um, talked with your friends from... Um, uh, from, from Alma. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Boy. It's been that long already? <laughs> yeah, you're a busy man, Jamil. Uh, so well. Short-term yeah. memory goes first. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I went, uh, then I got back, I went to Boise. And oh, I went yeah. to Portland. And I was fine from Boise. I go to Portland. Portland made me sick. Sick as a dog. I got some horrible disease from them Portland people. Uh-oh. And uh Probably those voodoo donuts. Just sick for, you know, <laughs> it's been a few weeks now. Wow. I was raging a fever for two weeks. It was it was brutal. And wow. just crawling out from under that rock. Hmm. I just got back from goo. a couple of weeks in Norway and Ireland with uh, Tasty. Yeah, yeah, that was that. That was a great time. Where'd you yeah. go to? Uh, to in Norway? Did you go to Sadness? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> we were in uh, Trondheim and um, did a collab brew there. And um, you didn't go to Stavanger? No, I was at Osman Brewery. My good friends at Osman. Yeah, and um, then we had a little. I had a conference there in Trondheim. Mm-hmm. And uh, picked up a bottle of uh, Carlsberg 1850. Uh, they recreated a brew from that they found in the cellars. Mm-hmm. It was quite good. Mm-hmm. Um, although it was still winter there, it was you know snowing, freezing rain every ten minutes. Um, then went down to Oslo for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Did another brew down there with the uh, Norwegian farmhouse sales, and uh, leaves were half out. It was a little more spring like. And yeah. that was a lot of fun down there. And then from there, went to, to uh, Dublin and then uh, on to Belfast. Mm-hmm. Dublin, we had the Irish National Homebrewers Conference mm-hmm. and um, some some good talks and a lot of good beers there. And then uh, then went on up to Belfast and uh, went to a uh, – I went to a, a boundary water uh, or boundary brewery, uh, went to a – local pub and just drank good beer all afternoon and with good people and it just didn't get much better than that <laughs> it was pretty fun <laughs> oh yeah sounds like a great trip yeah uh, how long was your whole trip uh two weeks total two weeks I think ta- yeah tasty was there about a week in ireland i think yeah he did uh sampled a lot more of the local brews than than right. i did yeah i'm going know. in uh september august september oh good I'm gonna do the beaver town extravaganza oh nice and then uh i'm gonna do a collab at least at, at this point it looks like i'm gonna do a collab with eight degrees brewing in uh southern ireland oh okay just uh, a bit outside cork okay yeah that'd be good i do that at that time so yeah I'll be heading yeah, back over for a couple of weeks. I met I met a guy, um, James from uh, Red Church Brewing, hmm. in uh, near near there near Beaverton, mm-hmm. and uh, no, I guess he started out at Beaverton and then uh, opened his own place. He does a lot of uh, Beaver you know, Town, unique. not Beaverton, hmm? 
Beaver Town. Oh, Beaver Town. Okay. Yes. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah, started out there, and now he does a lot of, uh, you know, interesting farmhouse kind of brews and yeah. so on. Cool. Yeah, good people there, and uh, I'm looking looking forward to going and, and having some fun. Excellent. You know who likes having fun? Our good friend John Blickman. Oh, yeah, him too, him too. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, our good friend John Blickman. I expect to uh, see him at the conference in uh, Minnesota and yeah. uh, have some fun with him there. Uh, it's always a blast seeing our, our good friends from Blickman Engineering. Matter of fact, I'm going to be in Indiana after that. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to get a chance to uh, swing by and say hi or not. Uh, uh, it's uh, chock full, and I, I know uh, they've already got some stuff going on that weekend. So who knows? Who what are you going to be doing there? In Indiana? Yeah. Going to do a collaboration brew with Evil Check Brewing. Uh-huh. And going to uh, open up the market. We're going to start uh, distributing in Indiana. Oh, cool. So I'm going to be there to go around a couple of events and uh, visit a couple of accounts and stuff. You introduce them to some fine West Coast brewing, huh? That, well, that's right. Um and I'm going to do something at uh, Great Fermentations as well. Oh, good. Yeah, you know, uh, Great Fermentations, that's like uh, Paul, uh, uh, Blickman's uh, homebrew shop. Yep. They're giving away, did you know they're giving away free homebrew ingredients for 15 years? You get yeah, like that's incredible. 15 years of brewing ingredients and a Blickman Brew Easy all-grain brewing system. They're giving all that away. You go to greatfermentations.com slash giveaway, enter for your chance to win. It's a $10,000 value, compliments of Great Fermentations. Uh, they're going to announce the winner on Saturday, June 17th. And they're doing random giveaways every two weeks leading up to the close of the competition. So uh, items like uh, conical fermenters, temperature controllers, uh, a Blickman Riptide brew pump, uh, and a bunch more. And it's all free. As always, uh, you know, when you get a great fermentation, you can expect top-notch customer service, same-day shipping on most items. Um, so go check them out. Uh, good people. They've been sponsoring us for a while now. Uh, like them on Facebook, um, GR8 Fermentation, uh, or uh, same thing on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, don't forget to sign up for the giveaway, greatfermentations.com slash giveaway. And uh, tell them you heard it here. Tell them uh, you love us and you want us to keep going. That's, uh, you're, you're, that's why you're contacting them. You should tell Blickman that, too. Indeed. Tell Blickman that, that you like the sound of our soft, sultry voices. That it helps <laughs> you get to sleep at night. It makes you feel good when you're brewing. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I'm dying. I'm dying. This may be the last show, folks. So, listen to every minute of it. <laughs> better, better have a nice IP there. Watch your whistle a bit. <laughs> I'm having a uh, brown ale from Magnolia. Oh, that'd be good. Yes, Although it's brown uh, ales can be a little dry, be a little too dry. This one's got a little bit of uh, back butter to it. Oh, okay. It kind of sweetens it out. It's very, very English. Very English. Three point seven percent. Got a little bit of uh, back butter to it that kind of fills it out a little bit, and gives it some sweetness. That's better then. Yeah. yeah. Um, they they make some uh, nice uh, kind of English style beers there at uh, Magnolia. Now, isn't Porno Steve a specialist in back butter? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, he'll butter um, the back. He'll br- butter the front. Yeah, you know, I'm not really. Um, there's not a specific a toast. specific butter that I'm really into. Um, it's just all over. You know, they used to make margarine <laughs> with whale oil. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. They switched to uh, vegetable oil in about the 1930s or so. Fun fact of the day. There yeah, you go. I got to got to repeat uh, that one at dinner. I'm full of useless crap. <laughs> I'm full of crap, but it's useless crap. Not useful crap. Useless. Uh, speaking of useless crap, 
Uh, we have questions from our from our listeners today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please don't get your panties in a bunch, everybody. All right. Yeah, <sighs> we do. Just joking around. That we do. All right. All right. Well, let's uh let's let's just like like ripping off a band-aid. Let's go ahead and do the first one. Get in there. Um All right. This one is about the BIAB brew stand in the new edition of How to Brew. Brew in a bag is what that stands for. Brew in a bag. Uh-huh. John picked up the new edition today. Super excited to dive into all the new information. Skimmed the brew in a bag section and saw the stand you made. Can't exactly see how you put it all together, but it looks like a perfect solution. Can you expand on how you join the pieces together? Is it all two by fours? Thanks. Ah, well, yes, yes, it is. Um, glad you like that. It, um, I, what it is, it's a simple two by four stand. Um, the uprights are two two by fours on each side, uh, you know, bolted together with, with lag screws in an L shape, you know, to give it some rigidity. And then on the bottom, those are uh, bolted to um, two by fours, two by four legs um, that are about three feet long. Um, and then the top piece is also. Uh, a two by four, or might even be a two by six. I have to go look at it. Um, and then I put a long uh, lag screw hook into that. So if uh, if you haven't seen that chapter, um, it's uh, it's brewing your first all grain batch, uh, the the brew in a bag option. Um, the idea is that you when you lift the grain bag out to drain, you just uh, lift it up and hook the loops on the hook. And let it drain. You don't need a, a pulley. I mean, although a pulley is certainly an op- option, but uh, you know, just hang it on the hook there and let it drain. And uh, I prefer hanging it on the hook and letting it drain. Yeah, yeah. Just like you know, like deer season. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh huh. But yeah, that's that's all it is. Just um, a series of two by fours and some lag screws and. And a hook, and it worked great. And it comes apart easily for storage. DIY. There you go. Bunch of two by fours, saw, power tools, drink some yep. beer, cut your fingers off. <laughs> and then you can hang it on a hook, let it drain. All right, let's take a short break. When we come back, more of your questions. Right after this. Are you looking for a simple brewing system that's great for all grain brewing, but everything on the market seems to be full of compromises? Blickman Engineering has the answer. The Blickman Brew Easy All Grain Brewing System. The Brew Easy is a complete system with easy upgrades and a beautiful compact design, perfect for any size brewing location. At its core, the Brew Easy is built on two gorgeous Blickman Boilermaker brew kettles, a high temperature March pump, and either a top tier gas burner or the new boil coil electric heater. The Brew Easy adapter lid allows the pots to stack on top of each other, forming an efficient, strong, and compact brewing setup that comes in 5, 10, and 20-gallon batch sizes. Upgrade your BrewEasy system with full automated control by adding a Blickman Tower of Power temp controller and make moving around easy with the Blickman Kettle Cart. The BrewEasy is modular. If you already own a Boilermaker kettle, you can build your BrewEasy by purchasing just the modules you need. The new BrewEasy all-grain brewing system. See it today at BlickmanEngineering.com and brew with Blickman quality on your new brew easy since the first time the brewing network microphones turned on more beer was behind it more beer sponsors the programming on the bn because like you they love brewing and like the brewing network they love sharing their knowledge morebeer.com isn't just a website to place your next equipment or ingredient order morebeer.com also gives you access to free beer information that will make you a better brewer go to morebeer.com and click into the learning center you'll find podcasts technical facts video tutorials and more including access to the buzz more beer social network of more than 5,000 members and some of them might even be crazier about beer than you are get over to morebeer.com today and take advantage of the buzz the forum the learning center and make sure you're signed up to receive the newest more beer catalog more beer bringing you absolutely everything for beer making 
Hey, guys, what'll it be? I'm not sure. What do you recommend? A lot of people seem to like the Hefeweizen. Is that a German Hefeweizen or more of an American-style wheat beer? I'm not sure, but I can give you a taste. Okay, great. Great. The Cicerone Certification Program certifies and educates beer professionals in order to elevate the beer experience for consumers. Unfortunately, not every bar is staffed with certified beer servers who can guide their customers through a beer list. Here you go, guys. Let me know what you think of the Hefeweizen. Yeah, that's definitely more of an American meat. But I can hardly tell because this beer just smells like sour butter. I wonder how long it's been since they cleaned the draft line. Yeah, and look at the bubbles on the side of the glass. It's filthy. Somebody should tell these guys about the Cicerone program. For sure. How about we head somewhere else for another beer? Your server should give beer the same respect you do. Request quality. The Cicerone certification program offers four levels of beer certification, in-person classes, and course books for beer professionals. Check them out at Cicerone.org. The Cicerone Certification Program. We know beer. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and freshest ingredients and the best customer service in the business. Check out their brand new patent-pending mash and boil 110-volt electric mashing and boiling unit. This compact all-stainless unit lets you mash, sparge, and boil just about anywhere that has a 110-volt plug. Double-wall construction adds to efficiency and safety, and a precise thermostat keeps temperatures where you want them. Unlike insulated buckets and converted coolers, multiple temperature rest mashing is easy to do all for under 300 bucks they also feature the mark ii work pump a magnetic drive high temperature pump that does the work of pumps that cost twice as much as well as exclusive brewers edge regulators and quality keg king kegs and disconnects check them out today at williamsbrewing.com to bruise their vast selection back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like Wine guys, brew strong. All right, we're back. <clears throat> we're doing a live Q and A. Questions that you guys have sent in to uh, brew strong at thebrewingnetwork dot com. All right, Porto Steve. <clears throat> the next question, please. All right, this one's about the oxidation of IPAs. Uh huh. Hey, guys, I'll start by saying thank you for everything you do for the community, and I'll try to keep it short and include the details in a postscript. Over a year ago, something started going wrong with my IPAs, but not any other styles I can tell. They smell and taste great right after fermentation, but then by the time they have bottle-conditioned, all hop and malt goodness have disappeared, leaving a bitter, vaguely sweet brew that's not worth drinking. I don't detect any of the classic descriptors of oxidation, though. Racked my brain trying to figure this out and have conducted several experiments... Outline below that seem to rule out bottling procedure, dry hopping, late hopping, and equipment and water issues. What am I not thinking of? Can a sanitation sanitation problem only affect hoppy beers? Maybe something involving the yeast. I don't have a meter to read my pH. Could that be the issue? Please help. You're my only hope. And then there's a bunch of additional info if needed. Yeah. I'm, pH is definitely an issue. I mean, if you can't. You have no idea what your pH is. I mean, that's never good. Um, yeah, it can. Wrong pH can promote oxidation. Well, um, and we don't know that it's oxidation, right? Yeah. Where, although, although it is bottle conditioned, and um, the resulting beer is vaguely sweet. Yeah, but see, here's the problem. Every time one of y'all says, oh, I think it's this, I think it's oxidized, or I think it's this, or I think it's that, uh, we believe you, but then again, so many times somebody has said something is one way, and then you actually taste it, and you're like, oh, no, that's actually something else. And so mm-hmm. they're always you know, a little surprised to find out that you know, what they thought was oxidation was actually something else. Um, I mean, the beer could be sweet because of a variety of reasons, you know. It true. doesn't necessarily yeah, mean oxidation. Now, I think in his email he says something about um, he doesn't think it's oxidation. Um, but then he thinks it's oxidation. I don't know. Um, you know, oxidation in, in craft beer tends to come across as kind of like caramelly. Yeah. So I don't know what's what's the rest of the details there, Porno Steve. 
Things I've tried to no avail. Brewed all extract to rule out a problem with the mash. Split batch, bottled one, left one in fermenter. Split batch, one dry hopped, one not. Brewed a recipe without any hops, boiled for less than 20 minutes. Used a hop spider to cut down on hop material in the fermenter. Brewed using different equipment. Brewed using filtered tap water with and without mineral and acid additions. Brewed with RO water plus salts and acid. Currently seeing if my long abandoned practice of using a secondary fermenter may have somehow helped me from avoiding this in the past. Well, all right. A few things here to note. First off, if you're making all these changes to the water and you're adding acid and all this stuff and you have no way of checking pH, then you're just, you're, it's like trying to go target shooting and just closing your eyes and waving the gun around because you think the targets, you know, could be over here or it could be over there or somebody could be moving it. Or not looking at the target afterward. Right, right. You know, and and so uh, you, you got to, if you're going to be messing around with your water, you got to be checking your pH. I think that that's just fundamental. True, yep. The other thing is he mentions, oh, it could be, you know, it could be one of another thing, could be... He, he, None of the things he mentioned that he tried had anything to do with fermentation. Zero. True. Yeah. I think. I don't know. I'm a little little dizzy here. Yeah. But the other thing is, you know, he says, uh, say, split branch, bottled one, left one in the fermenter. Right. And there's no no response. You know, did one taste better than the other? I mean, what, you know, are they both taste the same? Leave it in the fermenter. How about putting it in like a keg or something? I mean, yeah. uh, generally, I, I, I would say there's a few possibilities. And one is that, you know, he doesn't mention, you know, attenuation or finishing gravity, starting gravity, any of that stuff. Right. So maybe he's just getting less attenuation. I mean, maybe he doesn't even have a, you know, hydrometer. I don't know. Right. Could be, yeah. Uh, or you know, maybe his hydrometer's off. Yeah. You know, one of the first things I always tell people is like, okay, what are your readings of like pH, your starting gravity, finishing gravity? You know, all the measurements that you should you should do. Um, didn't mention anything about temperature control of fermentation either. Um, could be that you know the conditions all of a sudden uh, it's getting colder at night or something, and. Yeah. The, the yeast is not finishing as much, and, um, you know, uh, that could be it as well. He says they smell and taste great right after fermentation, but then by the time they have bottle conditions, yeah. everything's right. different. I think it's fair to say you can have oxidation that can, you know, uh, deteriorate your hop aroma without, you know, in a, in a short period of time without acting on the malt character of the beer uh, to the same extent. So. I don't know about that. What, what explained to me, it's somehow oxidation is targeting the hop character and not I'm just saying the that the hop character. character is fading faster than other staling reactions are taking place. He's saying halt, hop and malt. Yeah, but why, but why would that be? What is the mechanism for it preferentially oxidizing the the hop compounds. Well, I've just noticed that, you know, when you have IPAs that have been shipped any, you know, long, long distances, um, very often the hop character is not as good as it was fresh. Yeah, so, so that's a couple of things. One is that, again, that staling, that heat staling of the malt mm-hmm. uh, makes it intensify in flavor. And makes the hop character seem less, for okay. one. Um, the other is just time. Uh, the IBUs of bittering actually settles out over time, especially in a high IBU beer. Yeah, they degrade. It, yeah. yeah, it won't stay in suspension. It actually can settle out. Hmm. Um so there's a there's a whole you know array of possibilities there. I would you know the other thing that he doesn't talk about is well, if last year's was great, and you know this year's was not, could it coincide with the hop crop? 
Could the hops he was using last year, higher alpha acid, better, better, uh, you know, aroma and flavor characteristics, mm-hmm. and this year, you know, alpha acids have dropped. He didn't increase his amount, or maybe alpha acids went up, so he, you know, lowered his amount, and now he's not getting quite the same flavor, aroma, or you know, something along those lines are possible. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that that's, you know, it's an agricultural product. changes every year. That is very true. So, you know, unless you're talking apples to apples, um, you know, there's just so many little things in it. Yeah. I would suggest that he take, uh, do an experiment where he kegs and bottle conditions a batch uh, with a lot of emphasis on uh, purging, you know, trying to minimize oxidation. Um, at bottling after kegging and see if he notices any difference to his previous practice, previous batches. Um, you know, I, I'm inclined to think it might be oxygen-related uh, due to his, his packaging procedure. And it's something to look into. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um I I would think uh, you know um, as as you say all the other measurements need to be right since you know, his, since too. his uh, you know he doesn't say he's changed any of his packaging routines um, he just split yeah. the batch and bottled one and left one in the fermenter but that didn't do anything yeah I would wonder about fermentation I don't know yeah I think it yeah. always that tends to be the you know the most common thing that ends up being problems and he didn't mention it at all, so it tends to make me think he's not focused on it, and um, it is the most common problem. So that's where I would lean. So the takeaway from this, I think, is we don't have enough information to really answer the question. Yep. You guys need right. to you know, take measurements. You need to be a little more scientific mm-hmm. rather than just saying, well, it tastes this way. If you say it tastes oxidized... Well, every answer we come up with is going to, you know, it's like, well, oxidation? Yeah, it's kind of, uh, we don't know that that's really the problem. So it's hard to hard to know for sure. Okay. You guys could send in beer, and we could, yeah. you know, taste them and, and tell you uh, once we taste them. Never yeah, refuse you, a beer. You, you don't have to limit it to tend Dr. Be bad ones. Yeah. yeah. We can do that, too. Yep. All right. Next question. Uh, well, no. I'll tell you what. I want to tell you about my uh, friends at Craft Brew that uh, have uh, released their awesome compact conical fermenter called the Catalyst, made from plastic that's over 90% more scratch resistant than any other plastic conical and 71% less oxygen permeable. It's low-profile stand, allows it to fit snugly in your fridge or right on your countertop. Cleaning's a breeze because the entire lid snaps off, so you can be sure to get all those little crusties off the side. And perhaps the best part is a giant 3-inch butterfly valve at the bottom, allowing you to attach any size mason jar at the bottom for yeast collection during fermentation. Recently, they teamed up with Stone Brewing Company to offer a homebrew version of their famous Stone Pale Ale. Be sure to check it out under the product section of their website, and you can learn more at craftabrew.com. All right, let's take another break. And when we come back, more of your fine questions right after this. If you work in retail sales, the restaurant industry, or are a new craft beer enthusiast, or you know someone who is, you have got to check out Beer 101. Beer 101 is an online course created for anyone wanting a quick introduction to the vast world of craft beer. Beer 101 covers the history of beer, brewing ingredients and processes, vital stats like ABV, SRM, IBU and gravity, styles, tasting, glassware, and pairing beer with food. The Beer 101 course is offered by the Brewers Association at craftbeer.com, also home to the truly awesome Beer Style Finder, a visual guide to every beer style. Quickly play with color, bitterness, and alcohol content to interactively explore the entire world of beer styles with a gorgeously designed interface to your favorite beverage. The new Beer 101 course and new Beer Style Finder are only available at craftbeer.com. Craftbeer.com, celebrating the best of American beer. 
Army, have you heard the latest at Hop Tech? Since Hop Tech has doubled in size after a huge expansion, Jade and Roberto can stock even more of the best quality homebrewing supplies and equipment. Over 60 kick-ass varieties of hops and malts, monster truckloads of quality brewer's yeast, including white labs, rye yeast, and multiple dry yeasts. They even have all grain systems from Grain Fathers and Ruby Street Brew Systems, thanks to Jade, the brand new all-grain brewer. And don't forget about their 10% discount to all BN Army members. Jade and Roberto are waiting for you and all of your brewing questions over at HopTech.com. HopTech, totally not sucking since 1983. Hey, my brewing brothers and sisters, this is Jamel Zanishef, and I want to tell you about Heretic Evil Twin. You might be familiar with my homebrew recipe, which uses massive late hopping to create a balance between the malty sweet and the hoppy bitter, along with an outrageous malt and hop character. I wanted a beer with the same bold hop and malt character, so we played around with the homebrew recipe until we were able to make a great commercial version, too. We've created a beer rich in malt character, full of caramel, toast, biscuit, and an ever-so-subtle roast note. On top of that, we piled in an insane amount of citra and Columbus hops at the end of the boil, as well as in dry hopping. This damn-the-cost approach to hopping gives Heretic's Evil Twin a great blast of citrus and tropical fruit that can't be matched by any other hop. The result is a bold, malty, hoppy, but easy-drinking beer. This is our top seller, our flagship beer, and I couldn't be prouder of it. Cheers. To find Heretic Beers near you, click on Find Some at hereticbrewing.com. First Amendment. Watch out! Do you like beer? They make beer. Watch out! Do you like friends and fun? They make friends and fun. Watch out! Do you still like to have a good time? The 21st Amendment. Watch out! The 21st Amendment in San Francisco, located at 563 2nd Street, two blocks from the building where baseball is seen and played. Try their beers in the pub or try them in the can. Featuring... Monk's Blood. Made with real monk. Watch out! So why not have the best time of your life? Go to the 21A and Sean O'Sullivan will personally greet you with a can of... Monk's Blood. The 21st Amendment. Watch out! This advertisement is not in any way affiliated nor associated with the 21st Amendment Bar and Pub, nor its subsidiaries or affiliates. This telecast is not copywritten by the 21st Amendment for the private use of the Brewing Network. Any use of this telecast without Jamil Zanishev's consent is prohibited. Suck it, JP. Are you a member of the White Labs Customer Club? If not, you should be. It's the easiest way to earn free stuff for turning in your old homebrew labels from either vials or pure pitch. All you have to do is save your labels and redeem them for things like free yeast, an exclusive White Labs t-shirt or sweatshirt, and even the opportunity to brew with the yeast man himself, Chris White. Signing up is easy. Just go to whitelabs.com slash customer club, fill out the registration form, and then mail in your labels. They will return the favor by sending you awesome White Labs swag. Go sign up today at whitelabs.com slash customer club. White Labs, pure yeast and fermentation since 1995. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. I think we're doing questions or something. I can't lots of questions and lots of answers, hopefully, too. And we're answering them. Yep, that's right. Okay. So you know you where still else? Still have you... a fever? Oh, I think I'm. I think I'm getting a fever right now. Uh, I got a fever. Uh, I got a fever. I got a fever to learn. And I'll tell you one of the good places to learn? The Homebrewers uh, Conference. Huh? Yep. Minneapolis. That's true. You want to meet your homebrew heroes? Uh-huh. Register now for the 39th Annual National Homebrewers Conference and Homebrew Con. June 15th to 17th in downtown Minneapolis. Minneapolis. This year's homebrew con features more than 90, I think, 80? 80. 90? 80? Ah, 80 speakers. 
including wow. Charlie Papazian. The fever is affecting Andy Johnson, Gordon Strong, Brad Smith, and many more homebrew heavyweights. That's right. Did they just call you fat, John? Oh, yeah. Everybody does. I'm used to it. <laughs> Register today at homebrewcon.org. Well, John and I will be there. That's and right. me. And Porno Steve will be there. Yeah. There you go. Are you going? Bebo's going? Who else is going from the brewing network? There. Who? Sam? My, my husband. Yes. He'll be there. Yeah, we didn't need him. I put him to work. As long as you're there. That's all we um, need. Who else? Obviously, Justin will be there. Mm-hmm. JP will be there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, JP? Jamie? Jamie will not be there. Aww. Uh I don't know. Other people will be there. Warren might be there. Doc. People. Oh, Doc. Doc will be there. Uh-huh. All right. Probably with his, we'll with his handlers. <laughs> Watch Doc drink. Watch Doc get shit-faced. Watch Doc literally melt. He just turns into a puddle of man. <laughs> a small puddle. With a smile on his face I get, I get to share a room with him. This is, it's going to be so much fun. Oh. <laughs> Taylor might die. <laughs> I, might, I might not come back. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, just practice, you know, making good choices ah. before you hang out with Doc. Okay. Just practice, you know, making good choices. Just saying no repeatedly. Never going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Or no, that's too much. Right. So. I need to stop. <laughs> I need to stop. I think my liver is exploding. <laughs> I think my heart is 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 uh, going to explode. You know what, guys? We should all just go take a rest. <laughs> right, right. Something like that. Let's take a break. Yeah. How about we take a break? And Drink when Doc is like, no, and calling you names, you just need to turn and leave. Turn and leave. As for an adult. Don't, don't, yeah. Other than him. Right. Don't. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what. Don't let peer pressure get the best of you. The guys that Doc employs as his handlers, quote unquote, <laughs> they have that dialed in. Yeah. I remember we went out in a gr- as a group last year, and Doc was with us, and they were like, we got three Ubers. These guys just took control, mm. which That's great. sounds a lot like parenting, and I'm not trying to do that. Right. Yeah. No, I'm just saying for for the sake of being able to live another day, you want to, you know, maybe yeah. cut back a little bit on your intake. Or maybe you should on. go hard and, like, train. <laughs> It's not a yeah. I do have like a month. Uh huh. Yeah. Literally less than a month. However hard you go, it's not going to be hard enough. It's not going to be hard enough. I'll start when tonight. you're hanging out with Doc. <laughs> no, there's, there's no limit. Maybe you should no. just move in with Doc for a while. Oh no! <laughs> like, get prepared. That would, that would kill you. That would kill you. That's not. Might not make the trip. Yeah. Not. Uh, not really uh, the best. Uh, but check it out, uh, homebrewcon.org, the AHA. Um, I claim to everyone I meet. Uh, hey, I was just in the UK. I was talking to somebody about homebrew conference. I said, well, the best event, beer event in the world is the American Homebrew Association uh, homebrew conference. There is no finer beer event of any kind in the world I agree. than that. I mean, if you like, if you're looking for a beer festival to drink lots of beer, there you go. That's the best. If you're looking for learning, that's the best. Looking for just hanging out with other homebrewers, that's the best. Just overall, best. for anything, it's the best. Absolutely, there are no questions. All right, uh, let's see here. Another question: uh, Pornographic uh, uh, dildo, Stephen, Stephen dildo. Uh, can you remember the last year, the rest of your name? Yeah, you're right, man. I don't know. Fever's affecting things. All right. Q&A on protein rest. Simple question. Is there any reason... Rest. <laughs> is there any reason to do a protein rest on a typical American two-row-based beer? I have a European pro-brewer friend who swears it helps head retention and mouthfeel and countless other things. But I am not so convinced. Thoughts? Well, do you want to say it, Jamil? <laughs> Go ahead. You said well. I was That's waiting a, for you. Um, there, there are 
reasons to do one. Um, you know, I mean, their reasons exist, but 99% of the time on a typical American two-row base beer, no. However, if that typical American two-row base beer is a high adjunct beer and you want to bring out a little more uh, protein for um, free amino nitrogen or something like that, then, yeah, you could do a protein rest. But a protein rest, is, the purpose of a protein rest is to break down the endosperm to allow better conversion and higher yield uh, you know, extract from your malt. In modern malts, they're very well modified, so it's not a protein rest is not needed for that. Um, a protein rest can also be used to, like I said, um, create more free amino nitrogen, make smaller proteins from larger proteins. Again, highly mod- modified malts generally don't need that. Um, can you generate more? Better head re- can you generate better head retention with the protein rest? Not really. There's a, there's um, lots of protein in solution, um, so you're going to make a very small improvement. Um, you know, I think it's a negligible improvement, and potentially, if you do that protein rest in excess, you could damage your head retention. Um, Jamil, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I would say that, um, you know, the things like uh, too much free amino nitrogen um, can result in excessive growth, and you can actually ruin the flavor of your beer. Yeah. Um, and also, if you want great head retention, uh, great fermentation is the, the key to great uh, head retention. Like John's saying, there's plenty of proteins for great head retention. What you need to do is uh, ferment and attenuate your beer properly, and then uh, you'll have great head retention yep so i think um yeah i i've done protein rests in the past and uh did side by sides and things like that and it has been many many years since i've done any protein rests i have no desire to do one no need to do one so i don't know uh maybe for one particular brewer and his particular ingredients and Right. Uh, process. Maybe it works for him. I don't know. But uh, I think in general, it's not, not worth doing. I agree. Uh, next question. This one's from Bryce Remington. It's about mash efficiency and laudering speed. I'm pretty consistently hitting 65% mash efficiency. I run a 60-quart cooler with a copper manifold in the bottom, and on average mash at 152 to 154 degrees for 60 minutes. Testing conversion with iodine looks great, and overall it looks like I'm getting the full conversion. Yet, when I batch barge and finish laddering into the brew kettle, I'm stuck at 65% mash efficiency and never get it higher. I think one of my biggest points of confusion is laddering speed. With batch barging, people all over will swear that it changes nothing to go slower. But is the fact that I am opening the valve wide open causing my efficiency to suffer? Well, batch barging should be immune to that. I mean, in theory, what you're doing is you're you're doing the mash, uh, you're waiting the 60 minutes, you're stirring, you know, the extract comes out into solution, and now you're going to drain that uh, extract completely. And then you're going to add... Uh, another volume of water, uh, another, say, three or four gallons to the mash, and stir that and, you know, uh, pull the remaining extract into that into that wort and drain that again. Um, one, not so much the draining speed, but one factor I've found with batch sparging is that if you don't drain enough, um, those first runnings are your your uh, high uh, efficiency, your high gravity wort, and so if you don't drain that entirely, um, you're going to be diluting, and then a portion of that diluted wort is going to be retained by this spent grain, and uh, so in essence, you. 
the less completely you drain the first runnings, the more extract you end, you end up leaving behind in the second runnings, after the second runnings. And that could be a factor. But 65% is pretty low uh, efficiency. I would look for 75. Well, a couple of things. Um, I don't know, you know, if, if your beer's tasting great, don't worry about the efficiency. Throw in a, a few more cents worth of uh, malt. Um, when people are trying to hunt for the numbers, I think, you know, they tend to ruin their beer trying to, you know, achieve something that really is making no difference to the flavor. Um, but one of the things on batch sparging and, you know, the, the time factor. So one of the problems is that people will either run off too fast and like John's saying, they're leaving liquid behind. If you run off fast, it takes a while for some of that liquid to come back out of the, the, the grain. Um, you may think it's empty, but if you were to close the valve, wait 15, 20 minutes, open the valve again, quite a bit more runs out. That's one of the, the things that... that you're missing in running off too fast. You can either run off fast, you can run off slow, and then wait. Either way, it's going to take a certain amount of time. If you're not giving enough time, you're not going to get the extract out of there. Same thing happens when you add your next batch of water and you stir and all that. You need to give it enough time for everything to, you know, for the, the new water to work its way into the grain and, you know, everything to equilibrate and the sugars to come out. If you rush that part, if, you're, if you throw the water in there, you stir, you recirculate real quick and then dump it out again, you think, oh, well, it's batch sparging. It doesn't make a difference. The time does make a difference because it's not an instantaneous process into the grain and out of the grain. It, it takes some time. So you have to account for that in your speed of what you're doing things. You run off fast, but that doesn't matter. Then you, you're going to sit around and wait while it trickles for another 20, 30 minutes. So that's where speed comes in. If you're at 30, 65%, either that's what you're doing is you're leaving it behind that way, or you are... Um, not crushing your uh, grains sufficiently or uh, your numbers off because you're not measuring uh, your volumes correctly or your hydrometer reading is off. So it's one of those three things. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, good points there. Temperature, not really going to make a difference. Um, the you know potential of the malt, you need to know what that is. A lot of times people go with what's in some brew software and what you actually need to know is the potential of the malt that you get that lot of malt you want to look that up because it can be substantially different than what's listed in brew software so that can throw you off um but that's a generally a lesser issue than measurement error not crushing enough not waiting long enough for it to drain all right, I think we did a good job on answering that one, yeah? Yeah, I think so. All right. Well, I'll tell you, the Brew Lab. You know the Brew Lab, John. I sure do. That'll give you answers. You want to know about your water? You want to know? Measure. Uh, you, yeah, you got to measure. Uh, they've got uh, a great uh, water test kit. And uh, they've got various versions of it. They've got it with a pH meter, a sweet pH meter. They've got it with uh, a pro-level version. We use that at, at Heritage Brewing, and uh, I tell you, we love it. Um, I'm, I'm real pleased with that. I think it's uh, every, every brewery should have one. Yeah, good value. Uh, you get your results quicker than sending it out to a lab. You uh, get more... You, the the uh, number of tests you get, it's cheaper than sending it out to a lab. So uh, there's no reason not to have one of these kits. And I think that this is the best kit that's available on the market for uh, home brewers and, and and generally for professional brewers, too, unless you're going to really go out and set up your own water lab. I think uh, that this is a great um, uh, kit for, for most breweries. I agree, yeah. 
Well, John, you com- you compared the accuracy to uh, sending it out to, for analysis and for the yeah. uh, for the the uh, phone app versions of things, and uh, you found that this one is uh, it's right uh, there. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know the the resolution of different tests can be different, but um, when it comes to water analysis, you're you're interested in you know, plus or minus 10 ppm mm-hmm. uh, for most things. For for stuff like sulfate, uh, chloride, where you're looking at, you know, uh, a flavor, a seasoning aspect to those numbers, um, you know, plus or minus 50 is uh, ppm mm-hmm. is, is fine mm-hmm. because you just want you to know about where you are. Right. Um, so don't be fooled by high-resolution tests because... Uh, a, it may not be as accurate as the numbers make you think it is, mm-hmm. um, and it's really not giving you any more information Useful than what information. you get from right. the brew lab. Well, and I'll tell you, even on like a brew lab where, uh, let's say, a drop is, uh, you know, a reading of PM. ten ppm, there, and you're looking for a color change, um, you can tell when the color change is quick. Or the color change is like, yeah, just sort of that. I need another drop. And you can, you know, by that visual clue, you can tell like half of that, 5 ppm. You can say, well... Yeah, it's it's right in between that. It's in between, you know, six drops and seven drops, so it's 65. Yeah, that's true. Right. I mean, I'm I'm telling you, that's all the accuracy you need. And uh, it's easy enough to do that. And even if you're not capable of paying attention and <laughs> making that decision that it was in between six and seven, you're still fine. That's that's quality stuff. Check it out. Uh, where do you get that, John? That's a uh, brewlab.com, lamotte.com, lamotte.com, lamotte. L-A-M-O-T-T-E dot com. Say hi, or, to, uh, say hi to our friend E. Rector. Yep, Ernie. Ernie, Ernie, Ernie Rector. E. Rector. Um, it's also available. Most lots awesome of name. <laughs> I've ever heard. <laughs> uh, he's a super nice guy, too. Yep. E-Rector. Yep. Email him. E-Rector at Lamont.com. Yeah? That's right. Tell him how much how much uh, uh, you think his name is awesome. And uh, he'll prob- they'll probably be at the, uh, at the Homer Oh, yeah. Con, they'll yeah? be there. Yeah, oh, yeah. Good guys. They took us out to a meal in uh, San Diego or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I remember having I a good time. I see him at CBC and, and HBC. Yeah. I, yeah, I think I switched over to cocktails at that point. I'm like, hey, these yeah. guys are buying them. I'm going to have some cocktails. Cocktails, <laughs> I had steak, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Awesome time. Good guys. Awesome good guys. guys. Yeah. All right. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll have uh, another questions before we wrap up. Right after this. Brewing Great Beer is a process of continuous learning, and the best books on every aspect of brewing can be found at Brewers Publications, with more than 50 awesome titles like Modern Homebrew Recipes by Gordon Strong, Designing Great Beers, The Ultimate Guide to Brewing Classic Beer Styles by Ray Daniels, American Sour Beers, Innovative Techniques for Mixed Fermentations by Michael Tonsmeyer, For the Love of Hops, The Practical Guide to Aroma, Bitterness, and the Culture of Hops by Stan Hieronymus and Radical Brewing Recipes, Tales, and World Altering Meditations in a Glass by Randy Mosher, plus many, many more. These are the books and the authors with the knowledge to push your brewing farther than you thought possible. And you'll find them all at fine homebrew and book retailers everywhere. And visit the website at BrewersPublications.com. Brewers Publications, all the best on beer and brewing. Your support of the Brewing Network means everything to us. We couldn't produce shows without you. And we love giving you something extra for that support, like Brew Your Own Magazine. You already know it's a great brewing magazine full of recipes, equipment how-tos, discussions of beer styles, and brewing techniques. Whether you're new to brewing and just starting out or you're an old pro, you'll always learn something from the articles in Brew Your Own. Plus, they're amazing special issues like plans for building a brew. 10 system, 250 classic clone recipes, and the Home Brewer's Answer Book. Brew Your Own Magazine and BYO.com are awesome resources for 
Denny Brewer. Whether for yourself or as a gift, when you subscribe or resubscribe from the Brewing Network homepage, you directly support programs like this. Get a great magazine and support the Brewing Network. Subscribe to Brew Your Own right from the thebrewingnetwork.com. to brew has never been so disgusting this is brew strong all right we're back whoever uses this microphone after me is in real trouble i think it'll be jp i'll febreze it at the end of the show <laughs> yeah dunk it in febreze that'll yeah, help just swap it out with bebo's after the show yeah <laughs> She won't catch it. She won't catch anything. Oh, yeah, she does. She was just sick for, for a while there. Sick, sick, sick. All right. Uh, final question. All right. We'll wrap this thing up. This one is about Munich malt. Mm-hmm. Good or bad? Ooh. I have been working as an assistant brewer at a brewery I would like to leave nameless for a year and a half now. Uh-huh. This brewery makes... Quote unquote German style lagers. I leave uh-huh. that in quotes because I don't think the beers come all that close. When I got <laughs> hired, I was fairly new to brewing and didn't really understand the ins and outs of German lagers. I've been listening to a lot of the BN podcasts and looking up recipes. Uh-huh. It seems that nearly every German beer other than a Pilsner has some amount of Munich and or Vienna malt. A while back, I asked my boss, Seibel uh, Institute grad, why don't we use any mute civil? Why don't we use any Munich uh, in out Marzen? He told me, quote unquote, my teacher told me to never use Munich or Vienna. They are unstable and you can get all the same flavors from caramel malts. <laughs> from everything I've read, that statement is the exact opposite of a true. I have homebrewed several beers using boatloads of Munich, trying to figure out any downside to using it. I've been on a bit of a mission to prove them wrong. I brewed a Marzen of my own that turned out very well. I gave this to a friend of mine who was also a civil grad. He said it was the closest thing he has tasted to, in the U.S. to the beers he had in Germany. That gave me enough confidence to bring it to my boss. Boss tried it, was very impressed, and said we should brew that recipe on the big system. He also mentioned it tasting just like the ones in Germany. Then I told him the recipe. He seemed offended and said there's no way in hell we were using Munich or Vienna. <laughs> is there a downside to Munich or Vienna? The recipe malt bill is 42% Pilsner, 38% Munich type 2. 17% Vienna, 3% Kara Munich, 60 Luftbond. You know, um, perhaps somewhere, somehow, there's some possibility. Um, but in general, the some of the higher uh, thermally stressed malt, like caramel malts, actually fight stability isn't that true john that uh that is true it's the thermal load that is in the uh how big a load you've got in your beer that Mm -hmm. uh affects um you know later stability so um uh, that being said well a lighter kiln you know munich or vienna should be better in that respect um yeah, I don't know uh, anything um, that I can think of that would would make that true. I think, um, you know, if you're trying to make like a Munich Dunkel, I don't think you can make that at all without... Uh, yeah, 100% uh, Munich. Without Munich. Um, I mean, you could just color it up with some Carafa Special, but you're not going to make a great version of. I mean, yeah, the Munich malt has a uh, kind of a bready, uh, you know, character to it. yeah, character to it that is just delicious, and which uh, I think is important in certain styles. Um, it just seems insane to me that you wouldn't that you would stop using something that or not use something that is. You know, a quality product that a lot of brewers use. I mean, if you're making plain old, you know, Pilsner, I could see saying, hey, my Pilsner's made with 100% Pilsner malt. You're not going to put any adjuncts in there. You're not adding any Munich. You're not adding any Vienna. It's just Pilsner malt. I could see that, and I could get behind that. I understand. 
But when it comes on these, you know, box and things like that, I'll, I'll how the heck are you going to make it without throwing in yeah. some Munich? Yeah. I, I think somehow his boss has misremembered what he learned because yeah. Um, it's yeah, it's the caramel malts that have you know some downside in terms of flavor stability, especially caramel sixty. Uh-huh. Um, the lower caramels not too bad. Uh, the very high caramels um, they've been roasted a bit more, and they're usually not so bad. Although you know, usually only use those in small amounts. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, I've never heard of Munich or Vienna impacting flavor stability negatively. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, usually it's. Uh, those are, yeah. They, those two malts are a backbone of German lagers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. I, that that just seems insane. Yeah. To me, our malts yeah, misremembered. Like hops, where there's like propriety, and some are public use, and some are. Um. Well, the different maltsters have their own proprietary way of malting their grains but they all tend to be buying malts from the uh, to, to some extent from the same number of kind of farmers or i guess some farmers will work exclusively with a certain monster depends on the size but um it's the same types of malt cultivars um barley, yeah yeah or yeah barley cultivars um that are used for malt i mean there's a variety of them but you know it's not like uh I think uh, I'm sure there's some licensed ones, um, but uh, you know it's more what the maltster does with it, I guess, um, and eat to each his own. Um, I'm sure some of them keep keep some of that yeah. secret, right? Yeah. But but uh, yeah, Mer- um, Munich and Vienna malts are really traditional malts, been around hundreds of years. Well, there you go. All right. Uh, another fine show. Yes. Be sure to uh, check out... Uh, oh, oh, wait. What? Somebody somebody has a question? I have a chat room question. Wow. That, I have to get uh, to the right screen. I was just shocked. Somebody is listening. <laughs> somebody is listening. Wow. Yep, that one guy. John Blickman? <laughs> Craft Beer Geek from the chat room. Mm-hmm. He said, this is more of a pro-brewing related question. I actually have a brewery in planning and am planning to open this December. I'm wondering if Jamil can talk a little bit about transferring beer from vessel to vessel on this scale. I have heard of using CO2 or wait, I have heard using CO2 or pumps are the general methods. Mm-hmm. What are the pros and cons of both? Thank you. Just for reference to the question I'm talking about pursed fermentation transfers. Yeah, uh, generally, you can use CO2. problem with CO2 is it costs a, a bunch of money to, you know, push an entire fermenter of uh, beer with CO2 because uh, you're essentially filling that entire volume with uh, pressurized CO2. It can be also a little difficult to control. Um, you're, you know, if you don't get the pressure right, if the pressure goes too high, you pop your, your PRVs. Um, the nice thing about it is it's gentle on the beer. Um, it can change the carbonation, but if you're not carbonated yet, then that's fine. Uh, the problem with pumps is pumps will tend to introduce oxygen, uh, through the seals. Um, sometimes it can, you know, it can be very minimal, but if you don't have the appropriate meter to test to make sure that you're not introducing a ton of oxygen into your beer, um, you want to be careful about that. And, you know, the action of the pump can kind of beat up the uh, the beer, the sheer force, um, can uh, have some negative impact. Um, there's low shear pumps. Um, yeah, just in general, you want to avoid transfers as much as possible. I mean, we do unitank, and we don't transfer the beer to another vessel at all. Um that's how we avoid it, and uh, I'm quite happy doing it that way. So, there you go. Hopefully, that's a quick, solid answer. All right, let's uh, let's wrap this up. We got another show to do. 
I've probably only got another, you know, 60 minutes in me before I pass out and you have to call 911. Um, Someone get him a cup of tea. Yeah. Uh, A cup of something. Uh, Yeah, check out our sponsors. That's what I wanted to say. Check out uh, Blickman Engineering. Blickman Engineering with a B and a C-H. Lots of goodies there. You'll see them at the conference, too. If you get to the conference, make sure to find our friend uh, John Blickman at his booth. Say hi. Shake his hand. Tell him how much you appreciate his sponsorship of the show. Uh, He will thoroughly enjoy you doing that. So uh, please uh, take the time to say hi to him. And uh, if you want to help help some more, you go to the Brewing Network store, thebrewingnetwork.com slash store. Uh, in there, you're going to find um, all sorts of goodies available for sale. And when you buy that stuff, it helps. Go to the bottom line of the Brewing Network uh, right now for uh, since uh, winter's over and it's getting into summer. We've got a clearance sale on snowboards. I mean, they're like, you know, quarter price. Quarter price. So check them out. Got the logos on there, everything. They're just badass. So check them out. Greennetwork.com slash store. Till then, everybody. Bruce Strong. Bruce Strong. 